get our Bibles, or if you have a phone with a Bible app on it, an iPad, let's go to Acts chapter 28 together. Acts chapter 28. And as you're flipping there, I just want to get us started with a question. And here's the question. Um, Have you ever walked through a season of life in which you felt like anything that could go wrong went wrong? You ever had a season of life like that? And, and maybe, just maybe for some of us, maybe this is true of us, like maybe we got to the point where we felt like we were going to start coming out of that season, things were going to get better, we were going to be able to breathe again, catch a few breaks, only to have something else go really, really bad or really, really wrong again. You ever been there in life? Um, back in 2004 and 2005, my family walked through about a year of living like this. Um, I was just graduating college, and my wife and I were getting ready to move to Miami, Florida, to go be a part of a church plant there, and literally about three days before we were supposed to leave to go to Miami for the very first time as a team to look at possible locations for our church, to look at housing, um, my kid brother gets in a car accident, and not like fender bender car accident, he was lifelighted from the scene of the accident to Grady Hospital, and the doctors gave him a 10% chance of survival. Like I remember going to Grady Hospital and sitting in the waiting room, hundreds of people coming to see my family and we're on our faces and we're praying together and the doctors keep giving us nothing but bad news and um, they tell us even if my brother does live through this, he's going to have to relearn how to do everything that comes naturally to a person, um, talking, walking, chewing, remembering who people are, things like that. And so again, we just prayed and pressed into the Lord and asked him to do something for my brother that only he, he could do. And not only did my brother live through that, but he woke up doing all the things that the doctor said he would have to relearn how to do. And man, we praised God and we came out on the other side of that going, God, you're good and you are big and you're strong and you answer prayers. And we finally felt like we were catching a break until um, one night at dinner, My mom sits us all down, and I'll never forget this. She said, "Um, I went to the doc, and I got some not-so-great news. Um, They found a lump in one of her breasts, and it could be possible breast cancer. And I just remember sitting there going, man, we just made it through this, and now we're about to walk through this, and we're praying for my mom, and she's nervous, and the doctors are doing tests and doing biopsies, and again, we're praying, and we've got people praying, and again, we come out on the other side of this thing, doctors come back, and they say, great news, it's not cancer. We don't have to do anything with it. So we're celebrating God is good, he's big, he's overcome, man, he's been there for us. And again, we feel like I'm in the clear, we're, we're doing fine, life is gonna get back to normal. And then my new wife, Amber, um, she starts having headaches. So bad that there are days where she couldn't even get off the couch, couldn't function. And so we finally get her to go to the doctor and the doctors do tests and they do an MRI. And I'll never forget, I was at work one day, I was working retail before we were getting ready to go to Miami and I'm at the store I'm working at she calls and says the doctor just shared the results of the test with me and they found a mass on the front of my brain I'm sitting here I mean we've been married for a few months and I'm going what in the world am I supposed to do with that you know and praise God I was at a place where I could kind of hide away and so I had my bible with me and I went in the break room and I just sat there and I prayed and I read the scriptures And i got to be honest with you, there were moments during that year where I found myself, weak moments, going to God, very frustrated, questioning him as to why all this was happening, saying things like, God, we're trying to be faithful. God, we're moving our whole lives to Miami to plant a church. Um, We're trying our best to live in obedience. God, why in the world is all of this happening? Why can we not catch a break? 
And, and listen to me, church, it was during those weak moments of going to God with my frustrations and with my questions that I discovered a couple of things. Um, one is this, that the grace of God is much deeper than I could have ever wrapped my brain around or comprehended at that time. I mean, I was so encouraged by the fact that as I was walking through suffering and trouble in this life alongside people that I loved, that there was never a moment that I couldn't run to God and have him remind me that he loves me and he cares about me and he would always be there for me. Secondly, here's what I discovered, and again, this has shaped me, changed me, and, uh, and helped me to have a right perspective on life. That time of my life reminded me that just because I'm obedient to God and just because I love Jesus and just because I'm pursuing the plan and purpose that God has for my life, that doesn't mean I get to skip out on suffering and trouble and life going really, really bad at times. If you were here a few weeks ago when we started this series, we read a promise together from John 16, that Jesus gave his disciples in which he tells us this. And we're just going to read this together again this morning. Here's what Jesus says. He says, in this world, you'll have trouble. Jesus is reminding us with this very simple statement that we live in a world full of trouble. And the very simple reason the world is full of trouble, we know this from the Bible, is because the world is full of sin. And sin brings death and suffering and trouble along with it anywhere it goes. And listen to me. Um, Again, we say this at Westridge all the time. I'm going to say it again this morning. The world is not full of sin and trouble because God designed the world to be that way. Like God didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to throw some trouble their way. Right? Suffering and death and disease and hunger and injustice. I'm going to just throw that on them and let's see how they do with this. Church, you get, we chose sin and we chose trouble for ourselves. And praise God that when we weren't faithful to him, he was still faithful to us. And he came alongside us and said, you know what, I want to help you. I want to help you through the trouble you're going to face in this world. This is what Jesus is reminding us. He's going, listen, in the world, you're going to have trouble. People are going to get sick. And people you love are going to die. And there are going to be times where you walk through tragedies. And there are going to be accidents. And there are going to be phone calls with bad news. And some of us are going to walk through life and feel what it's like to be abused and abandoned and taken advantage of. The promise again is we live in a world full of trouble because of sin. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not exempt from that trouble. But the hopeful statement and, and the peace and comfort that we have as followers of Jesus is what he gives us in the second part of that verse. Jesus Christ says, but listen, you, you take heart and you be courageous. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Jesus Christ is reminding us that he is bigger and greater and stronger than anything you and I can ever face in this life. And if you're here today going, well, James, how in the world can I trust that? Here's what I'd say. Look at the resurrection of Jesus. He was a guy who died, and then he came back to life again three days later. And he died for sin, and he died to conquer death. And he proved that he was bigger than sin, and bigger than trouble, and bigger than death by coming back to life after he had been dead for three days. And he's reminding us, you can trust me, I'm bigger than anything you'll face. I've overcome the world. So be courageous as my follower, as my disciple. It's good news for us this morning, church. Now, if there's anyone in scripture that believed and experienced that promise that we just read, if there's anybody in scripture, it was a guy that some of us are probably really familiar with named Paul. 
outside of Jesus, there's not a guy that we can read about in the New Testament that suffered more or faced more trouble in his life than the Apostle Paul. And before we get to Acts 28, I just want to take a moment and read to you from the book of 2 Corinthians, where Paul actually describes some of the suffering and trouble he experienced while he was alive here on the earth. Um, Here's what he says. He says, five times I received at the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 40 lashes less one was a punishment handed out from the synagogue to people who were accused of being blasphemers, people who were accused of being false teachers, and people who severely broke the Old Testament law. And what they do is they'd bring that person in, they'd strip them of their clothes, and they would take a whip that had three leather strands coming out of it, and they would hit that person twice on the back and then once on the chest, 13 total rounds to make a final count of 39 lashes. And Paul's going, man, I've experienced that five times. He then goes on and he says, three times I was beaten with rods. This was a punishment handed out by non-Jewish people, Gentiles, to those that they accused of disturbing the peace. Again, Paul was a guy who wouldn't shut up about Jesus and he made a lot of people angry and he was punished for it. And again, they brought him in, they stripped him of his clothes, nothing but bare skin, and they took big rods, wooden rods, and they just beat him. And he goes, that happened to me three times. And he says, once I was stoned. And that's not stone like wasted stone, right? He's not throwing that in the middle of there. This is stone like, dude, they drug me out into the street and they threw large stones on top of me in order to try and kill me. And you can read about that in Acts 14. Paul's actually preaching in a city called Lystra. People don't like what he's saying about Jesus. So they drag him into the street. They try and kill him. And the Bible tells us that he was so badly hurt that the people there actually thought that he was dead. And they just left him there. They keep reading, and Paul says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from river, danger from robbers, we'll keep going, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Again, I read that, and I go, I'm pretty sure that if Paul could get up here on this stage today, if he was still alive, he'd be the guy going, I believe 150% dead on that you're going to face a lot of trouble in this world because I've lived it. Like we see that in Paul's life. And again, church, let me remind you, Paul was not a heathen, pagan, live however he wanted type of guy. He was a guy who loved God more than anything else in life. He was a guy that was faithful in his relationship with God. He talked about Jesus everywhere he went. He planted churches in cities of major influence, yet still he faced plenty of trouble during his life, and not just some of his life, but most of his life, until the point he was killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you go to the book of Acts and you start reading around the end, here's what you find out about Paul. After he experiences all that we just read about, um, he's arrested again for his faith in Christ, and they're going to transport him on a ship to the city of Rome where they're going to throw him in jail. Okay? Now, in Acts 27, we read about this, and guess what happens to Paul as he's on the ship being transported? The ship he's on wrecks again. Four times now, Paul's been in a shipwreck. Talk about a guy who cannot catch a break. And the scriptures tell us that this ship crashes that he's on and they end up on this island that they don't really know much about. And we're going to pick up in Acts 28, verse 1, and we'll start reading about what happens next. 
Paul says, after we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. And the native people showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and they welcomed us because it had begun to rain and it was cold. So, so far so good, right? I mean, yeah, they're shipwrecks, but they could have landed on an island with barbaric people who could have killed them. Um, They could have landed on an island with cannibalistic people who were starving and they could have been eaten, right? But instead, they land on this island and Luke, who wrote this book, is going, man, these people were pretty kind to us. They welcomed us warmly. It was cold outside and raining, so they built us a fire. Everything seems to be going okay at this point, but we'll keep reading. Verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and he put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the people, the native people, saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And so here's Paul, man. He decides, man, I'm going to do something nice, right? These people are being nice to us. I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to go try to collect some firewood. And so he goes and collects firewood, and the Bible says he brings it back, trying to do this nice gesture for everyone else, and he goes to put the wood on the fire, and a viper, a very venomous snake, bites him on the hand. Again, talk about a guy who cannot catch a break. Just when it seems like I'm getting a breather, man, things might kind of get back to some sense of normalcy, he's bit by a venomous snake. And the rest of the people on the island, they're sitting back, and they believed in Greco-Roman mythology tradition during this time. And so they're going, what happened is our goddess, who they called Justice, who punished people for the way they lived their lives, that goddess, what she did is she sent this snake here because this guy must be a really bad guy, a murderer or something, and she sent this snake to attack him and to kill him since he didn't die in the shipwreck. And so I want to put the pause button on Paul's life for a moment and just ask us this question. How many of us, if this was us, in Paul's shoes, at this point in our life would have had one of those, come on God, are you kidding me moments? Right? You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but just be honest with yourself. Like how many of us would have had a moment where we would have said out loud in front of all these people, God, seriously. I mean, I've been beaten, I've been whipped, starving to death, dehydrated, persecuted, hunted down, running for my life, been in this shipwreck, land on this island, things seem to be going okay, and now I'm bit by a poisonous snake. God, are you kidding me? How many of us would have had one of those moments? Now, what's interesting about Paul's response He actually responds the exact opposite from what I just described. If you go back to the scriptures, look what happens. The Bible says that he, talking about Paul, shook the creature off into the fire and he suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and they said that he was a god. I mean, I can just imagine Paul, this snake hanging off of his hand, Not going, come on, God, are you kidding me? But saying, you stupid snake, that hurts. Now you die by fire, right? And he punches the thing off his hand, and it falls into the fire. And Paul sits back down, and he looks at the people, and they're freaking out. And, you know, some of them are waiting for him to swell up like Will Smith in that movie Hitch. You know what I'm talking about? With a messed up face. And others are going, he's going to die at any moment. And he sits down, and he goes, no, 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 it's okay. Don't worry, I'm going to be just fine. And he goes back to telling camp stories and roasting marshmallows and laughing with the people there. And nothing happens to him. And these people from the island are looking at each other going, 
this guy has to be a god. Has to be a god. Now, as I read this passage over and over this week, I sat and I thought to myself, what in the world allowed Paul to respond like that? Like, what allowed Paul to respond so calmly in the face of what he suffered and experienced instead of having one of those, come on, God, are you serious, are you kidding me type of moments? And as I read this passage over and over and I, I read other passages that Paul had written and I thought about his life, I, I'm confident that I know the answer. And here's why. Paul was able to respond the way he did to all of his suffering, including this moment in Acts 28, for a very simple reason. It's because Paul was a guy who had a very clear understanding of the nature and the character of God, and he had a very firm belief in the promises of God for those people who will love him and trust him in times of trouble. That's why, and I'm going to make my case and prove to you what I just said, okay? We know before Paul was a Christian, he was busy killing Christians, right? He was a Pharisee. He was one of the most devout religious men on the face of the planet during his life. And he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a leader among the Pharisees. So he was religious elite of his day. He said all the right things, did all the right things. Morality was off the chart. And another thing that would have been true about Paul as a Pharisee is that he would have known the Bible, the scriptures, very, very well. And for Paul, his Bible would have simply been the Old Testament. Now, I want you to listen to what the Old Testament tells us about the nature and character of God and also what it tells us about who God promises to be for those who love him and trust him during times of trouble. Here's what it says. The scriptures say that our God will be our rock, our fortress, and our savior in whom we find protection. That he will be our shield, our strength for salvation, and our stronghold. That he will be our strength, our refuge, always ready to help in times of trouble. That even though we suffer hardship, that he will restore us to life again. That our God is a loving father, tender and compassionate toward us as his children. That he's near to the brokenhearted and he promises to heal our wounds. That he, our God, is our help and our strength and he will uphold us with his victorious right hand. That when we go through deep waters and great trouble, he will be with us. That when we go through rivers of difficulty, we will not drown. That when we walk through the fires of oppression, we will Will not be burned up and the flames will not consume us. That He is the Lord, our God, the Holy One of Israel, and our Savior. That's what the scriptures say about our God. Now, I could point to several different passages from the New Testament in which Paul wrote to prove that he was a guy that believed this about the nature and character of God, that believed this about who God promised to be for those people suffering through times of trouble. But I'm just going to point to one for us this morning. Okay, one simple one that a lot of us in the room probably are familiar with. In Philippians 4.13, Paul makes a very simple statement in which he says, I can do all things through him, excuse me, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, contrary to popular belief, um, Paul didn't write this verse about lifting weights, right? He didn't write this verse about football players, and so... You guys that run around in the gym and, dude, I'm benching 600 today. I can do all things through Christ, right? Um, you're misusing this, and you're going to crush your chest, right? Um, football players, I can do all things, right? You're misquoting that, and somebody's going to take you out in the next game. He didn't write it for that. What he wrote this verse for was simple. It was a response to all of the suffering that he had been through in his life. That's what he wrote this verse about. 
If you read the verses prior to verse 13, he actually says, I know what it's like to be a guy who lives in abundance, and I know what it's like to be a guy who lives in need. He said, I know what it's like to be a guy who has plenty, but I also know what it's like to be a guy who has nothing and is starving to death. And church, remember, when Paul wrote this verse, he was sitting in a jail cell in Rome, chained up to two soldiers, and then he writes, the secret to making it through all that I've experienced is this, the simple belief that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I just imagine Paul, as he's writing this in this jail cell. He's sitting there thinking, again, I've been beaten, I've been whipped, I've been tortured, I've been persecuted, I've been hunted down for my faith, bitten by this poisonous snake, sitting in jail right now. But it's okay. But it's okay, and it's okay because God has promised to be my help. And God has promised to be my refuge. And he's promised to give me strength. And he promised he'd restore me. And he's promised to be a loving father toward me. And he's promised to be near to me and to heal my wounds. And he's promised to uphold me. And I don't care what I face in life. If that's true about him, I can make it through anything I'll ever face as long as I have him to run to. This is what Paul's declaring to be true in the scriptures. Now again, let's hit the pause button. And let's bring us into this. And I have a very simple question I want to ask all of us this morning, and here it is. When you face trouble in this life, and maybe, you know, you think about trouble and suffering, and it's in your past, and you're doing all right right now. Maybe some of you guys are in it. You're in the trenches. I mean, you're at war every day of your life right now. You're just battling, and you feel like trouble is all around you. Or maybe you're doing pretty well, and you go, man, I can't really think of facing a time of trouble. It's coming, right? Jesus promised you're going to face trouble at some point. It'll come. And here's what I want to ask you. When you face times of trouble and hardship and suffering, what do your reactions and responses say about who you believe God to be? When you respond to the trouble you face in life, what does your response and reaction say about who you believe God has promised to be for you in the midst of what you're facing? As I see it, church, we have two options, right? We can walk through suffering, walk through trouble, and we can respond in ways that say to the world around us that my God can't handle my trouble, right? That's one option. We can walk through life and say, family's falling apart, Loved ones passed away, dealing with this sickness, lost jobs, lost possessions, and I'm not really sure if God can handle all this, because if he could handle all this, I wouldn't be walking through all this stuff in the first place. Some of us can respond to that and go, I don't even really know if God can help me or wants to help me or cares enough to help me, and so I think I'm going to walk through this time of life on my own, trusting in myself, because I don't really know if I can trust him or his promises, We can respond in ways, again, that say to the world, our God is small, our God is distant, our God doesn't really care much for us, he can't handle the things we face in life, and you probably shouldn't trust him. And the problem, church, listen to me, the problem with responding to suffering and trouble in this way is that we end up painting God in a way that is so untrue about who he is. We paint him in this light that couldn't be further from the truth about about who he truly is and who he's promised to be for us as we face the troubles of this world. So the second option is this, as we face trouble and as we face suffering, we can instead be those people that respond in a way that says, 
my trouble can't handle my God. We could be those people who walk through suffering and declare to the world by the way we respond, this may stink and this may be hard, but it has nothing on who he is. And this may stink, and I don't know how long it's going to last, but I know who he is, and what's in front of me and what's around me cannot stand up to who my God is. I'll give you some examples. This past Thursday, I'm in this room. I'm standing in the back of the auditorium with our associate pastor, Nick, and our assistant, Helen, and uh, one of the guys that comes every Thursday with a cleaning crew that we hire to clean our church, and we're talking to him. His name is Bennett. And Bennett was sharing about something that's happened in his family's life just in the past couple of weeks. And he goes on to tell us that his daughter was pregnant with a baby and that her due date was just a little over a week ago, um, I think last Sunday on his birthday. Well, a few days early, she goes into labor. It was on a Wednesday, and they rush his daughter to the hospital, and what was going to be a great day turned out to be a horrific day. And the daughter started hemorrhaging, and they couldn't get the blood to stop. And this man lost his daughter and his grandchild all at the same time. And I'm sitting there in the back of the room talking to this guy, and my heart is just breaking for him. And we're going, Ben, and man, we'll do anything for you, man. We're praying for you. You let us know what we can do for your family. We'll engage our church, and we'll do anything you need. And he was so appreciative, and he's shaking our hand and thanking us. And before he walked away to go start doing his job again, he looked at us, and here's what he said. He said, I know that God is able to sustain us through this. He said, and we've been leaning on him, and we're going to keep leaning on him. He'll sustain us. You see, that response says to the world, my trouble cannot handle my God. Again, this is tough, and this is hard, but it has nothing on who he is and who he's promised to be for me in this time. Another example, my dad, he's been without work for the past seven months, and praise God he started a new job this past week, but it's been a tough seven months for my family, right? And I love my dad, he's a man of great faith, and I'd call regularly just to check on him to see how he was doing over the past several months, and every time my dad would answer the phone, he would answer the phone with joy in his voice, and I'd say, Pops, how you doing today? And his response was always the same. He'd say, Son, I'm doing great today. Today just means I'm one day closer to being to where God wants me to be. I praise God to have a dad like that. But again, that response says to the world, man, this is tough and we're losing stuff and the 401k is being drained and we don't know how we're buying groceries next week, but it's okay because my trouble cannot handle my God. I believe who he is and I believe who he's promised to be for me and so we'll walk through this time and we're gonna be okay. I'll give you one last example. When I was a student pastor, the very first church I ever worked at, I had a kid in my ministry, 13 years old, found out he had terminal brain cancer. His name was Seth. He died at 15, two days before Christmas. And Seth, he was my buddy, man. We spent a lot of time hanging and playing video games. But I'll never forget the first day I met Seth. I went to his house, took McDonald's, had one of our other pastors with me, and we sat down and heard his story. And his mom shared with us that on the day Seth found out he had cancer, the doctor that broke the news to them looked across the table and asked this 13-year-old kid, eighth grader, a question. He said, Seth, are you scared? This kid looked back across at this doctor and he said, fear is not a part of God's vocabulary, so I will not let it be a part of mine. 13 years old. Bro, you're dying. And he goes, my trouble can't handle him. That's his response. Two days before he died, two days before he died, he looked at his mom and he made this statement. He said, mom, don't you dare turn your back on Christ because he's never turned his back on me. 
15 years old, dying of brain cancer. And he makes a statement like that. That statement says to the world, this stinks and this is hard and there's trouble all around me and I'm suffering so much, but my trouble cannot handle who God is and who he's promised to be for me. And man, I pray, I pray, I pray that this church, that Westridge Church, would be full of people that truly believe that statement, that our trouble cannot handle our God. I pray that this church would be a church that declares with the way we respond to trouble and suffering that our God is big and that he's close to us and that he cares about us, that he's a loving father, tender and compassionate toward us, that he's always ready to help in times of trouble, that he always wants to be our hope and our salvation, and that he can give us strength and the ability to make it through whatever we face in this life. I pray this church is full of people who declare that. I hope, I hope that if you're not there today, man, that we can help you as we come around you and pray for you and keep showing up and hearing this book taught that you'll be able to get to a place eventually where you bank your life on the promises of God and you declare to the world that no matter what life throws at you or takes from you, that God's enough for you. He's enough for you. Listen, here's what I'm confident of. I'm confident that when we get to that place of being able to truly say, I don't care what I face, he's enough, that our faith will become so real to the outside world that there will be no way in the world they will be able to ever deny that our God is real. If you go back to Acts 28, this is what you see happening um, at the end of this story. The Bible tells us that Paul, after he responded so calmly to what he had experienced after these people declare him to be God and God was faithful to protect him from the harm that the snake bite could have caused him. The Bible tells us that a door opened for Paul to meet the chief of this island they were on, a guy named Publius, and he actually went and prayed for this man's father who was very sick and he healed this guy. And so what they did after that is they actually brought all the other sick people from the entire island to Paul and he prayed for them and he healed them all. And so listen to me, Paul was able to make Jesus Christ and his power known to an entire island of people who had no idea about who God was, all because of how he responded in a moment of suffering. So church, here's the simple question I want to close with today. Who do you need God to be for you right now? Do you need him to be your strength? He's promised he'd be your strength if you'll just run to him. Do you need him to hold you up? He, he'll promise, he's promised he'll hold you up if you run to him. Do you need him to be a refuge or a stronghold? He's promised to be that for you today if you'll run to him. Do you need him to be a loving father who shows you compassion and tenderness? He's promised he'd be that for you if you'll run to him today. Do you feel like you're drowning right now in life? He's promised you, you run to him. He's not gonna let you drown. You feel oppressed. You feel like the fires of life are consuming you. He says, run to me, man. The flames of life will not consume you. You need hope today. Maybe you need God to be your salvation today. He's promised to be that for you. Maybe you walked in the door and you don't have a relationship with God. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ who declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life and the only way to have a relationship with God you've never believed on Christ and you've never put your faith in him and so you walked in today and you truly are walking through life alone facing trouble and suffering alone again I would say to you you got to start by letting God and allowing God to be your salvation 
you got to start today by accepting the free gift of salvation that God offers to you through Jesus. He wants to forgive you of your sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. He wants to offer you eternal life. You don't have to do anything to earn. He just wants to give it to you as a gift. You don't need to clean yourself up or fix anything about your life. He just wants you to come as messed up as you are. He'll lavish you with his grace and his love. And you can start a relationship with him today. And know, and know, again, not that you'll never face trouble in this life again. It's not the promise that God will deliver us from all the trouble we ever face. But he has promised to deliver us through anything we'll face. So again, some of us need to enter into a relationship with him and know that from this point on, we will never face trouble alone. Who do you need God to be for you today? I pray we'll be a church that believes this book is true. Church, that we believe this book is true. God wrote this book. It's his. He told us about himself, and he's not a liar. And I pray today that we'll just go, that's what the scripture says, I'm in, I believe it, I'm going to run to him. I just want us, wherever we are this morning, just to bow our heads, close our eyes, and ask God to be for us today who we need him to be. You're facing trouble, call on him suffering through life, call on him. You're walking through a tough time you don't know how you're going to get out of. Run to him. Run to him. For those of us again in the room who don't even have a relationship with God, the Bible says again, it is a gift, a free gift that God gives us whenever we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. If we'll believe that Jesus is God and that he came to this earth over 2,000 years ago to die on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. That after he died, he rose from the dead to conquer sin, to conquer trouble, to conquer death, so that you and I could have eternal life. The Bible says if we'll believe that to be true about Jesus, and we'll turn from the way we're living right now and come after him, that God will save us. So this morning, again, there's no magic prayer that saves anybody, but if you need to come into a relationship with God for the first time, just declare those things to him in prayer right now. Just say to him, God, I need you. I'm tired of walking through life alone, and I'm tired of living life however I want to live life, God, and I want to live life in relationship with you. I want to live the life you've created me to live, God, so save me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus offers that, God. Give me eternal life, God. I believe Jesus can offer me that. Be my salvation today. Claim that promise from him. God, for the rest of us sitting in the room, God, those that are struggling, those that are hurting, those that are surrounded by trouble, those that are suffering hardship, walking through times of life right now, God, where they're having a hard time seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. God, would you this morning, right now, in this place, let your Holy Spirit sweep over them. God, overwhelm them right now, in this moment, with your love for them, with your care for them. God, lavish them with your grace right now, in this moment. 
God, again, you promised you would draw near to the brokenhearted, God. We claim that promise here today, God, and we need you to draw near to the brokenhearted people in this room right now in this moment. God, every day of our lives, help us, God, to trust you, to have faith in you, to believe what the scriptures say are true about you. God, and help us to bank our lives on the promises you've given us. Help us, God, to be able to say, like Paul said, we can do all things through you who gives us strength. Father, we need you. We trust, God, that you're going to be for us who we need you to be. God, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.